and I had a friend, a uh, family, uh, pretty close to us. I love these people. I don't know if they'll ever hear this, but the Bailey family, uh, Joe and Donna Bailey, um, are just sweet people, love the Lord. They had gotten right with the Lord, gotten back in church at our church in Park Street. She was a bank teller. And I remember one week, uh, and I think it was because my parents were gone, so she picked us up from school when I was a kid, middle school, I think. And she said, oh, today was an exciting day. I found, I found counterfeit money. And I was like, really, how do you know it's counterfeit? Like if it's Monopoly money, I think I could pick it out, right? But how is it that you knew that the money that you found, you know, you're counting all this money, how did you know? She goes, well, you know, I deal with money so much as a teller, and that was back before uh, debit cards were a big thing, and so you had, she was like handling money, cash all the time. And she said, you know, when you, when you deal with the authentic bills all the time, then when something comes across that's different, you can tell. The authentic and dealing with the authentic and knowing the authentic uh, can make the fake stand out, right? And uh, I thought that was an interesting thing. And then later on I heard the story about somebody that taught, and I don't know if it's a, a true story or if it's a fake story, but it's a good story. It's a preacher, it's a good illustration, preacher story, where this guy who wanted to teach somebody to, to do the, the trade of jade, selling jade, and he, this guy came to him, I want to learn how to do this trade and know what jade is. And so he made him, he made him just hold a piece of jade all the time. And for weeks and months and years, he's just holding this jade and, it's kind of one of those Mr. Miyagi moments, you know, paint the fence. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know what I'm learning. I'm learning something. I think I'm just doing this guy's chores, right? But it was one of those days where he threw him a new one and, and there was something. And he's like, this isn't Jade. He goes, now you know the trade. Because by knowing the genuine, you can pick out what's not authentic. Today, I, I want you to think through this with me. We value the authentic, don't we? You value authentic things. If I gave you something... I had somebody the other day, um, and if he's here, don't get offended. This is just what happened, okay? I love you. Um, I don't even think he's here. But anyway, he's like, hey, you want some, do you want some, uh, some AirPods? You guys know what AirPods are? Yeah? The, they're, they're Apple's overpriced headphones. And, and so, sure, I'll get some. And they're only, he's like, my friend just had an extra pair, and he wants to sell. Okay, cool. So I got them, and. I got them and I paid like this really low price for them and then I put them in and I tried to connect them like these are not genuine Apple parts. And I was like, oh man, I want the genuine, who wants the genuine thing? Like if you're going to pay that much money, you want the real thing. We value the authentic. Now here's, what, here's who else values the authentic. God values the authentic. But the difference then with us and God is that God knows our hearts. He knows when we're being hypocritical and when we're being authentic. And what God values, and I want to kind of key you in this morning, and I want you to feel the weight of this, and I want you to feel the urgency in this. It's so important that we understand that faith in the God of the Bible, authentic faith in the God of the, of the Bible is essential for your life. It's essential for your, in, your eternity. God God values our faith. And in fact, he says, we've been studying in the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bible, it's Hebrews chapter 11 where we are. I'm going to have you go back a little bit to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. It's at the end of this passage that he's 
wanting these, these, some who are believers, some who are not yet believers, but are maybe uh, intellectually events, he says, hey, I want you to be convinced of this thing that, that you ought to go forward and put your faith and trust in Christ. And you, you ought to do that. In fact, he says in verse 38, now the just, those who are justified, those who are saved, those who are given, as we're going to talk about today, an inherited righteousness from God, those people shall live by what? Okay, say it like you mean it. Man, almost all you did it. That's good. The just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. He says in verse 39, but we are not of them. Hey, my Hebrew, Israeli, Jewish people of Israel, children of Israel, you people who have this background and this heritage, we're not of people who drew back. We're a people, we're not of those who draw back into perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. He said, we people of, of God, we chosen, the chosen Jews, we, we are people who believe we don't go back. And so in the first couple of verses we've been looking at, last week we talked about how that God values faith. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the evidence of the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things I've seen, that idea of substance is a putting under, it's a foundation that are the, the way that the just people who are saved live their lives, it's on a foundation of faith and trust in God. It's evidence of things not seen. We act as if it's true because we believe that it is. The just shall live. You're getting it. Awesome. He goes on in verse 2 and says, It's by this faith, this true, authentic faith in the true Son of God, that the elders, those people who've gone before, obtained a good report. Who was their report to? Their report was to us. How many of you guys agree their faith helps your faith? When you see the people that have gone before uh, in, in the Old Testament, you hear their stories of faith. Last Sunday night, uh, Pastor Miles preached an incredible st- uh, uh, message about David and Goliath. You guys remember that? And he called it David and the dwarf, and I thought that was pretty funny. And he was talking about how that David put his trust in the Lord. Not, he says in that particular passage, he talks about God doesn't save by sword and spear. The Lord is, the Lord is our, our, the one who wins for us. And so we, we're encouraged by those ones who have gone before and how they responded. Um, today, I, he says here in verse 2, elders obtained a good report. They're a good report to us, but it's also a good report to God. That what pleased them, what, what pleased God is faith. And we'll talk about that today. We also saw an illustration of faith that God, that we believe because, uh, and it has to be by faith, we see evidence of God's creation, but it's through faith that we understand that the world was designed. That we see, and I kind of taught you that from the stars down to the cells in our skin, there's evidence all around us that God designed the world. And it's through faith we believe that. Today he goes into some of those elders and the report of faith that they have. And in fact, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a bunch of these different uh, patriarchs, those who went before, who were not of those who went back under perdition, but were on those who went forward to the saving of the soul. Those who were just, who lived by faith. And in that, in that teaching today, I want you to understand that authentic faith and the true and living God is absolutely essential for your life. 
for your life now and for eternity later. Authentic faith in God is essential. And we're going to see four lessons from three different characters. I tried to make it three from three, but it's four from three, all right? Will you forgive me? All right, will you remember it? Will you remember it? Can you try to remember? Who wants to learn something today? Who wants to grow because of what you're here for? I want to do that too. I want to live by faith. And so we're going to learn four lessons from these three guys in these three verses um, that will help us to live by faith and understand what authentic faith looks like. The first lesson we're going to learn is from a guy named Abel. Abel teaches, a, teaches that a real faith, an authentic faith, is a faith that obeys. A faith that obeys. Look at verse number four. It says this. By faith, now that is a phrase, we're already pausing. Two words in and I'm pausing. In two words he says, by faith. Look at verse five. Well, how does that start? How does verse seven start? Verse eight. Verse nine. Verse 11. No. Through faith. I gotcha. Does anybody sense a pattern? Who senses a pattern? What's this whole passage about? What are we going to talk about for the next couple weeks? That's right. Who thinks faith is important? It's important, but it's, it's important who you have faith in. What I taught you last week is everybody has faith in something. Who's your faith in? And is your faith authentic? Now, here's what he says about Abel. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was, what's the word? Righteous. What does righteous mean? Righteous means right before God. Righteous means right before God. Okay. Now how did he, he says he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your Bibles, and I want you to go to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. I have one of these fancy Bibles where I have more than one ribbon. Okay? I like lots of ribbons. And in my, in my Bible, you can put a ribbon in one and ribbon in the other because in Genesis chapter 4, we're going to actually, on a couple of occasions in, in the next few minutes, we're going to be on the, almost the same page back in Genesis when we go back and forth. In Genesis chapter 4, we find out who Abel was. If you look at 4 verse 1, it says this, and Adam knew his wife, knew Eve his wife. Um, uh, who are Adam and Eve? They're, they're the first human beings. Um, they were created by God. Um, you're, you ask me, Ben, do you think that you, these were historical figures? With all my heart. These are real people. Um, and it says Adam knew his wife Eve. That's what happens when married couples um, procreate. And it says, and she conceived and bare Cain. Who's the firstborn? Who's the firstborn? She bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother, Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So you have two boys, two different pregnancies, one older, one younger. You have Cain, who is a farmer. Are there any farmers here? 
couple of you. We love farmers. Who loves farmers? Who loves food? Amen. So we love farmers. Amen. So you have Cain, who's a farmer, and then you have uh, you have Abel, and he was he was a shepherd. So it says here in verse number three, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. So you have two offerings that were given. It says in that passage over the, after the process of time it happened. So this isn't like a story. This is one thing that happens. I think people get mixed up when they read the Bible. Sometimes um, that we, we read because there's succession that it's almost like, Day one, day two, day three, like it's happening all in a row. It says here in the process of time. So it didn't happen right away. It's at some point in their relationship. Now they're older. Are they babies or are they men? They're men. So we, from verse one, when she has them as kids, to now they've grown up. Okay? And Cain, his, his gifting, his ability, his interest was farming. Abel's was shepherding. It says that Cain brought of his offering, and it makes sense that he would bring at some level, it kind of matches offering. He brings the fruit of the ground. And it says something interesting about Abel's. It says that he brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. Now, some may ask, okay, and then what happened? God rejected Cain's, but he accepted Abel's. Now, some may ask, well, why, why did it? Why did that happen? Well, some have proposed several animal answers. One is that, that Abel's was a, an animal and therefore a blood sacrifice. Um, the Bible, even in Hebrews, has told us that, that things were not uh, forgiven or, or purged except by blood, right? And even in, if you go back in Genesis chapter 3, um, verse 21, when God was sending Adam and Eve out of the garden, what does it say he did? And Adam and also, and Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord of God make coats of what? Skins and clothe them. You remember that when they, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat, then their eyes were opened and they were, what does it say? Ashamed. And what did they do? They went and hid. You guys are with me. You guys want to answer the question. This is good. They went and hid, but they also took fig leaves, and with those fig leaves, they sewed aprons to cover themselves, to cover their nakedness, to cover their shame. After God sends them out, God does this interesting thing where it's not with fig leaves, not with plants. Are you getting it? Not with plants that they're covered. What does he do? With animal skins. To get an animal skin to cover their nakedness, what does he have to do? Kill an animal. Sacrifice blood. So we see a pattern in just a few verses. Not leaves, blood. Maybe that's why. For sure, who agrees with Abel, it was his best. He says he brought up the firstlings of his flock, the fat thereof. Uh, who, who also agrees, and this is, I think, a right answer, and I think we put all these answers together. Who agrees that that. God knew Abel's heart and God knew Cain's heart. 
he did. And we are told that they were supposed to do these offerings in terms of we don't know. We know when God commanded Adam and what God commanded Adam to do. We don't know what God, the specifics of what God commanded Abel and Cain to do in bringing these offerings. But we do believe that they felt an obligation to bring the offerings who agrees. So God must have given them instruction on to do, how to do this. And I think the simple answer is this. Abel was obedient. Cain was not. Abel was obedient. Cain was not. Not just obedient in practice, obedient in in what? In heart. In heart. Sometimes I ask my kids to take out the trash. Hey, Audrey, could you take out the trash? Audrey does everything she does when she has a good attitude, and she's mad at me for talking about her, but I'm going to. She skips and prances and dances everywhere, right? And so when she... Will you take out the, yes, I'll take out the, the trash. That's how she does it. Sometimes my kids, so they do it with a good heart. You're like, you let your Baptist kids dance, I can't stop her. She just dances all the time. Sometimes when I ask my kids to obey, you know what they do? Anybody have kids like that? Anybody kids obey like that? Is that obedience? No, obedience is doing what you're told when you're told with a good attitude. Cain's heart was not right before God. And so God accepted Abel's obedient heart, his obedient life, his faith, a faith that obeys, and he rejected Cain's. Now, what ended up happening? We know what happened. Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, so meaning, verse 7, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? You know what that means? If you would have obeyed, wouldn't your gift be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. That language is like sin is like a, a crouched tiger ready to pounce. I want you to know that sin is like that. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Sin is dangerous. You don't play with it. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Verse 8, and Cain talked with his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Let me ask you a question. Are you your brother's keeper? The answer is yes. We are all our brother's keeper. Do you have a responsibility for other people? Okay, church, I think you're confused. Do you have a responsibility for other people? Of course you do. Do you have a responsibility towards your family? Yes, you do. And he said, what's thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. I think it's interesting. Um, God is a God of justice. God's a God of justice. It says, your, your, the voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. There's this neat, God's concerned with blood. God's concerned with shedding innocent blood. And I want you to know that, that sometimes it seems as if people are sinning and they're getting away with it. And I'm, I want to tell you this, nobody's going to get away with anything. None of us are getting away with anything. Our sin is either p- 
paid for in God's wrath being poured out in Jesus on the cross where he made a blood atonement for what we did, who agrees with me, or in, in eternity forever. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, is a scary verse if you do not know Jesus. Revelation 21, verse 8 says this, but the fearful and the unbelieving, let me get there, and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, well, Pastor Ben, I'm none of those things, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, and that's shown out in your, uh, in your actions when, in terms of the just living by faith. God declares you righteous. We're going to see that in a few minutes. That's what happened here. Uh, Abel believed the revelation that he had from God. He obeyed God. And God testified that he was righteous, not because of his works, but because of his faith. And it says here that a faith that saves is a faith that also obeys. Are you with me? We don't get saved because we're obedient. We're obedient because we've gotten saved. Do you get it? So faith is putting, faith, the, the, the faith, kind of faith we see in Abel is a faith that's not just putting trust in God in, in extraordinary circumstances. It's a faith that believes God just to be obedient today with what I know I ought to do today. Can I ask you a question? If I were to ask you about the status of your faith, how's your faith doing? And the question I have for you is, is there any part of your life where you're being knowingly disobedient to God? What would you say? You don't confess to me. I'm not your priest. You confess to God, but does God know your heart? Is there something in your life, is there some area of your life where you have an acceptable level of disobedience in your own heart and life? A faith that believes God is saying, you know what? God says it's wrong. I'm going to say it's wrong too. You know what that's called? It's called repentance. A change of mind that leads to a change of the heart, which leads to a change of action. Are you being obedient? Is your faith producing obedience in your life? Is there something in your life where you should be doing something and you're not? Was there something in your life where you shouldn't be doing it and you are? Abel teaches us the lesson that authentic faith is a faith that obeys. Here's a second lesson. This is, a guy, this is from a guy named Enoch. Look at verse number five. Enoch teaches us that authentic faith is a faith that walks. Here I'm talking about walking with God. Abel teaches us that faith obeys God. Enoch teaches us that a faith that obeys God is one who walks with God. Look at verse 5, back in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. But for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, this is an interesting thing. Genesis chapter 5, if you go to Genesis chapter 5, back where we were before, you're, you're, you're reading, this is just across the page in my Bible from where we were in Genesis 4. In Genesis chapter 5, 
you get down to verse 21, Genesis chapter 5 has given us Adam's descendants all the way down to Noah. He's given us these descendants and he's giving us years. If you look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, this is the book of the generations of Adam and the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him, male and family created him. Verse 3, and Adam lived 130 years. If they're myths, they don't live 130 years. Does the Bible think that Genesis is history? Genesis is history, okay? So he's giving us descendants. You get down, you know, Adam to Seth, to Enos, to Canaan. You get down to verse uh, 21. And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. Here's what it is, verse 22. Here's the, here's the testimony. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. Say, that's a long time. Thank you. Thank you, Robbie. And begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 years. And Enoch, what does it say? Walked with God. Look at verse 22. And Enoch, what? Verse 20, uh, 24. And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. What an interesting thing to put in a line of descendants. Enoch walked with God. What does it mean to walk with God? For sure, walking with God means spending time with God. You and I can spend time with God. You and I can spend time with God. We can walk with God in that way. We can know him and be known. We can actually have a relationship with God. How does that happen? Well, we spend time with him. Let me ask you a question. This week, don't answer my question out loud. Answer it in your own heart. Did you spend time with God? You spent time doing a lot of stuff. You know, we all spent the same amount of time this week. Every single one of us. We all spent the same amount of time. Who agrees? Yeah. We all didn't spend the same amount of time doing the same things. But we all spent, did you spend time with God this week? Enoch, walk with God. We can walk with God. Uh, who agrees that walking with God also means l talking to God in prayer? Who agrees? You can talk to God and he can hear you. Um, he can actually answer your prayers. I, I, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And like a dad wants to be a blessing. To, last night we went through McDonald's after we went to a concert. And after a concert we went to McDonald's. And uh, I got my kids ice cream. And it was really late. And my wife probably was not very happy with me. Because it was like after 9 o'clock. And so we got ice cream. And Audrey asked for, Dad, can I have extra hot fudge? Did I get her extra hot fudge? I got it. And, and Zeke goes, can I have a McFlurry? I'm like, son. The McFlurry is like $1.50 more than the hot fudge. Who's, who's hurting for McDonald's prices going up? And so I'm like, it's like $1.50. He's like, Dad, but I like the McFlurry. Did I get him a McFlurry? Because I, I like to give my kids stuff. I like to be a blessing to them. I also like them to go to bed. But that's another thing. God wants to answer our prayers. I'm not saying... 
I am not a prosperity preacher, okay? I'm not a prosperity preacher. I don't believe that God's will is that everybody be rich, healthy, and wise. That is not it. But I do believe that God answers prayer. And I believe that when we ask God for things that are within his will, he wants to give it to us. We can spend time with him. We can talk to him. Who believes that he can talk to us? We hold a miracle in our hands. And we can spend time to God in his word. We can talk to him in prayer. So my question to you is this. Do you have a walk with God? Jesus told the Pharisees, um, or he told his disciples, talking about the Pharisees, when you pray, don't do like the Pharisees. They stand out on the street corners and they pray and they, they, they pray really loud and long. They use all kinds of flowery language. When you pray, don't pray like them because they pray not with God as their audience, but with who? Man as their audience. And when you pray that way, he says, truly, I, I want you to know this, they have their reward. What, is that, what does that mean? Their reward isn't answers from God in prayer because they're not even talking to God. They, their reward is they get some kind of respect from people because, wow, that guy can really pray. He says, when you pray, what do you do? Go into your closet, he says. And now Jesus isn't just saying that the only place you can pray is where you store your clothes. What he's saying is go in private. And he says, when you pray to God in private, the Lord who sees you in private will reward you openly. The reward, here's the thing. Prayer is not about getting treasure from God. Prayer helps us understand that God himself is the treasure. Do you get it? Jesus is the prize, not what Jesus gives me. And so we can walk with God. Now, in this particular statement, we find that Abel, it says that he, he pleased God to the point that he walked with God where he was not for God took him. That's an interesting thing, and there's all kinds of implications there. But don't miss this. How is your walk? I know this. We're more likely to obey when we spend time with God. I know it with my kids. My kids and I are a lot, they're a lot, they are a lot more likely to obey me, to do what I want, to, want them to do, to live how I want them to live, because they know, because I've spent time with them, that I love them, that I care for them. They tend to be more obedient I know they can hear me, two out of the three. They tend to be more obedient when they know that I care. And that's something I don't just show one time. It's something I ought to show every day. Are you with me? We're, we tend to obey God more when we spend time with God and have his heart. Spending time with God grows our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, you get faith in God as you pray to him and as you hear from his word. That's what he does. So Enoch teaches this, teaches this, that authentic faith is a faith that walks. Enoch, Enoch also teaches us another lesson. We learn from Abel that authentic faith obeys, that authentic faith walks. Number three, we learn from Enoch that authentic faith is a faith that pleases God. Verse 5b, the end part of verse 5 says, for For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. You're not going to pray to a God you don't believe could hear you. Not consistently, not for a long term. 
He that believes, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently please him. Pleasing God comes when we have enough faith to walk with God. When we walk with God, we tend to obey God. And when we obey God, God is pleased. It's impossible to please God without faith. Now, when you think about pleasing God, there is that relational aspect to it. When we, when we, uh, when we please God uh, by faith, when we have that relationship after we get saved, it's important that we please God because we want to have a good relationship with Him. Like we want our dads to be uh, proud of us and happy with us, and we want them to be pleased, so should we feel that way with our Heavenly Father. But I think there's also the aspect of this, that you and I, before we're saved, God says that we are enemies of God. We're enemies of God. There's only one way to God. That's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And so here's what I want you to know. This is the part where I'm telling you it's essential that you please God. Because if God is not pleased with you, you aren't getting into heaven. Are you with me? I'm talking about pleased in the sense of being saved. Now, as a believer, there are times that I displease God just like I, my, my kids can displease me or I can displease my father. And, but that doesn't make me stop being his kid. Are you with me? When we put our faith and trust in God, God makes us his kid and we can please him. So let me ask you another question. This is about application today. Let me ask you a question. Who are you seeking to please? What is the bullseye of your life in terms of wanting to please? Who, who do you want to please? Do you want to please yourself? Do you want to please somebody else? Or do you want to please the Savior? I hope that your desire is to please, not yourself, not somebody else, ultimately the Savior. And I want you to know that when you do, he is a rewarder of them, it says, that diligently, what? Seek him. If you seek to please God, you will be pleased and that God will reward you. Is that exciting? So exciting. So we see from Enoch a faith that pleases, a faith that walks, we see from Abel a faith that obeys. Here's the last one. We see from Noah a faith that saves. A faith that saves. Look at what it says in verse 7. This is back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet. What was it that he had not seen? He had not seen flooding. He had not seen rain. He had not seen the wrath of God in that way. By faith, no, and being warned of God, not seeing as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became, here it is, heir of righteousness, which is by what? By faith. We see this, go back in, again, back to Genesis chapter number Six, we're just moving right through because that's what the author of Hebrews does. He's going right through the Old Testament. 
in chapter 4 of Genesis, we learned about Cain and Abel. In chapter 5, we learned about Enoch. When we get to chapter 6, we learn about, we learn about Noah. It says in verse 5 of chapter 6, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Who, who agrees? Um, that's pretty bad. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be before the coming of the Son of Man. Who agrees? This isn't a bad description of our, our world right now. That wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Is that not the internet? Is that not our television? Verse 6, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping things, the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made him. But here's the good, good news, verse 8. But Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. These are the generation of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect or complete or mature in his generations. Noah, what does it say? What does it say? Noah did what? Hey, he walked with God too. Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and the earth was all, and earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence, and God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way up upon the earth. So what did God do? It says in verse 7 of Hebrews 11, by faith Noah being warned of God. Here's where God comes to Noah and warns him. Look at verse 13. God said to Noah, to the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, rooms that thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. So God warns Noah and says, I'm going to destroy the earth. And so then he commissions Noah in verse 14, make thee an ark of gopher wood. When God warns, what happens in our hearts is fear. And that's what happened in Noah's heart. It says that he was moved with fear, fear of God, fear of God's warning. So what did he do? He obeyed God. He, he was commissioned by God to provide salvation for anybody who would get into the ark. But who did he end up saving? He, pre he prepared an ark, it says in verse 7, to the saving of his house. How many people got on the ark? Go back to Hebrew, actually go back to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we're told about Noah. After reading this this week, I thought, man, there's a lot here that I'm going to leave unsaid. You start reading this passage and it gets pretty interesting and there's probably some things that you're going to wonder what I think about or, or maybe you wonder what you think about. So don't get hung up on this. It says in verse 18, For Christ also, this is chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. I'm, I'm ahead of my PowerPoint, so just listen in. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, by which, which sometime were disobedient, 
when once the long suffering of God waited the, the days of, who is it? Noah. Was God patient in the days of Noah? He was. Noah spent years and years and years making the ark, proclaiming God's wrath. It says, while the ark was preparing, wherein a few, that is, how many? Eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism does now also save us, not putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. There's a lot there, but here's what, Here's what Peter's saying. Like the ark was a salvation for the people at, at Noah's time, so Jesus is salvation for us at our time. There was one door on the ark. There's one way to get through the wrath of God in this flood. That one way was this ark. So to us, there's one way. Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Abraham believed God. He made the ark. He was physically saved in that ark through the provision of, of God. But he also, it says here, what does it say? Became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. How do you become an heir of righteousness, which is by faith? Does that mean Noah was sinless? We know Noah wasn't sinless because after he landed at the end of the flood, they went out and Noah, Noah got drunk. And Noah did some very evil things in getting drunk. Noah wasn't perfect, but Noah was saved. That's the testimony here. Why? Because he believed God and God gave him Righteousness. It was an inherited, imputed righteousness. What are you talking about, imputed righteousness? That's a big word. What are you talking about? One more passage. Go to Romans. Romans chapter 4. At the end, Romans chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 3. This isn't on the screen. Just read it with me. This is talking about Abraham. It applies to Noah here. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For, he, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God. What is that? That's faith. Who agrees? That's faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him. It was imputed unto him, is another way of saying that, as righteous. Abraham wasn't made righteous before God by works. It was by faith. Go down to verse, um, talking again about Abraham, verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he, God, was also able to perform. God says, you're going to make of you a great nation. And even though he was old, he believed God. I, 
I don't know how I'm going to have a nation full of kids. I'm really old, but I believe God. I'm going to act on that belief. Verse 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for this sake alone that it was imputed to him, but it was for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. I can't be totally righteous. You spend 10, 20 minutes with me, you'll find out I mess up. I mess up all the time. The word for mess up is sin. Your pastor's a sinner. None of you are shocked. I still sin all the time. I'm not making it to God by my works. I'm making it to God because of what Jesus did. And when I put my faith and trust in Jesus, God takes away my sin and he gives me Jesus' righteousness. It's an alien righteousness that I get to inherit because he performed it. He did it. He was in no point sin. He didn't sin at any point. Like He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. This is the good news. And that's why he says in verse 25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification, therefore being justified by faith. What do we have? Peace with God. Now I'm no longer an enemy of God. I have peace with him. And by faith I can please him. I can have a relationship with him. And I can be saved. We have peace with God. The enmities with God. Now we have access to God. By whom also, talking about Jesus, we have access by faith into this grace where we and we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The only way we're getting into heaven is when we're made right with God. And we're made right with God by faith. And a faith that saves is a faith that puts its complete trust in Jesus Christ. So what do I tell you today? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. We are not promised tomorrow. We have today. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. God has offered to you salvation. You have an obligation to believe, to put your faith in. In God, And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, who came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for your sin and mine, when you put your faith and trust in him, the Bible says that God gives us the Holy Spirit. He regenerates our hearts. We put our faith in him and we become one of his kids. He does it. He does it. Isn't that amazing? So today is the day of salvation. And that's why he says about Noah, that when Noah, let's read the verse one more time. He condemned the world because he put faith in God, they did not, and became heir of the righteousness, which is by what? Faith. Here's the problem. The problem is that you and I stand guilty before God outside of Jesus Christ. We stand guilty before God. We have sinned. 
And if we were to stand in our own righteousness, the Bible says that, that our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. That outside of Christ, what I have to offer God, if I'm offering him my righteousness, is like lepers' bandages, like used band-aids. That's what I'm offering to God. God says that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God says that by grace we're saved through faith, but not of ourselves. That grace is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God wants us to be people of faith. He's calling us to put faith in him for our salvation. That when we put our faith in him, he will give us Jesus is righteousness. I don't have to go to hell. I can go to heaven. Not because I'm good, but because he's good. And he says that if I put my faith and trust in him, that he will not let me perish. I will repent and believe and be saved. And if you trusted God for your salvation, God's call to you is to also trust God for your life, for your sanctification. An authentic faith that is a saving faith is a faith that will also lead you to walk with God, to obey God. And when we walk with God and we obey God, he responds to our faith and helps us to understand that we can please him too. We can please God. And then when we please God, he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Is that encouraging? I don't have to perform for God. God will grow in and through me. Isn't that awesome? So today, are you saved? Has there ever been a place in time where you put your faith and trust in Jesus? And I'll ask you those other questions. Are you obeying God? Are you walking with God? Are you seeking to please God? Would you bow your heads?